I said it before and I'll say it again. That scene, that last scene. What does it mean? I'm the dude, you know? Get the fuck out of here. No, I cannot. That final scene starts now. Hello everyone, this is Sophie and you're listening to episode 3 of the That Final Scene podcast where we talk about some of the best and worst final scenes in film history. Today you're in luck because we're going to be talking about one of the better ones, uh, the final scene of Everything Everywhere All at Once. I'm joined by my co-hosts Ben and Simon. Say hi to Hello. our listeners. Hello. We got to the magic number. We got to number three. Yeah, Without love being it. booted off the internet. That's nice. <laughs> Uh, ben, you know your Christopher Nolan quote from episode one is yes. kind of going viral I on Instagram that, yeah. right I know, now. I feel like everybody's coming at me on the internet. <laughs> what was it again? That The Prestige is Christopher Nolan's best film and that I'll fight anyone who says otherwise. No, actually, I didn't say I'd fight anyone who says otherwise, but people have said that. People have kind of been really gotten behind it, which I'm quite happy about because yeah. it's a great movie. And also, Simon, what you said about weird science and that Oh that boob scene about not registering because when you were a kid made a couple of our listeners laugh I out loud. I saw that comment. The guy was just like, yeah, I remembered that. And then I saw the film again. I was like, oh my God, boobs. <laughs> it's slightly rude. It's, un- it's unexpected when you watch it again. Well, I've told you, I think I told the story the last time about, you know, me watching Goldeneye and having all those bits cut oh, out yeah. and being like, how did I not know this was in the movie? <laughs> Do you have any like that? No, I don't think so. Nothing that comes to mind. I find it quite a lot with TV shows, stuff like The Simpsons and Friends that I go back and watch now and you're like, I didn't realise that that was a dick joke or, you know, you kind of notice things that you didn't notice before. I remember when, when I was a kid, my sister had some friends over and they watched uh, Forrest Gump. God, what a Forrest Gump have I missed? <laughs> we used to have a TV in the lounge that was connected to a video player in another room and her and her mates were watching the video in the other room on that TV but they didn't know that we were also watching the same feed and when the naked scene came on with Tom Hanks in it they rewound it about five times and tried to freeze frame (laughs) the cock shot (laughs) and me and my mum and dad were like what? <laughs> and they and they didn't know we could see. I am ninety nine percent sure that there is like a cock a, shot. Yeah, I feel like it's it, a different film. Knock knock. This is the total recall bot. Sophie's in it correct. There is no actual Tom Hanks cock shot in Forrest Gump. At twenty four minutes into the movie, Tom Hanks is seen drying his intimate region in the background of the shot. You sure they weren't watching like uh, what's the Tom Cruise one where he slides in? Jerry Maguire, you know, when he slides in his own. Is that Jerry Maguire when he slides in his underwear? We're not doing a very good job. No, I'm not doing a good job. <laughs> but were, are you sure it wasn't that and they were trying to like get the freeze frame? It's like, oh, I can see his bum. <laughs> yeah, but I can't think of anything inappropriate, but I do rewatch a lot of stuff now that looking back, I'm like, oh my God, that was so sexist. That was so mm. racist. I feel like a lot of films and TV shows have been ruined. Well, what was yeah. the one that we watched at your house? Oh, um, Roadhouse. Yeah, Roadhouse. How on earth do any of these films get made? <laughs> I remember Simon having a discussion with one of... Uh, Simon and I used to work together. Uh, one of our American colleagues about why it was called Roadhouse. And Simon was adamant that it's called Roadhouse because it's about a house beside the road. <laughs> <laughs> you were No, sorry. You thought it was called Roadhouse because someone drove over a house in a monster truck. So That's right. Like, That's why it's called Roadhouse because the house is in the middle of the road and it gets driven over. (laughs) Sounds like a thriller. It's really good. What is it? It's it's steamy. It's exciting. It's got Patrick. It's got a love interest. So nine and a half weeks vibes? Steamy? (laughs) (laughs) No. Patrick Swayze plays a double hard bouncer that gets drafted into this town to clean up this dirty club. And in cleaning up this place, he riles up the local gangsters. Sounds amazing. (laughs) I'm going to watch it. Um, cool. On a serious note, though, I know we've had quite a few people reach out to us sharing their suggestions for the podcast. And even though I feel like there needs to be a mix of conscious programming and intention, because if I'm honest, I know I don't want to talk about anything that I don't actually care about. And I feel like this is one of the reasons that I'm doing this with you, because I feel like you come from the same place. But one of the things that people talked about or suggested was a short news section in the beginning. And for the record, we would love to, but it takes us about a week to put these episodes yeah. out. So if you're looking for a slightly outdated news section, then we can do that. <laughs> but I don't think that's what you're looking for. So we can definitely make sure that, you know, we do talk about anything that's newsworthy or feels important. Like we did, t- did talk about CinemaCon on episode mm-hmm. one. 
obviously the Cannes Film Festival is taking place right now. We are not there, so we can't speak about any of the films that came out. I did Shockingly, see- we didn't get an invite to Cannes. <sighs> next year, it's yeah, happening. next year. I'm going to get us in. Um, even though I did hear that the new Cronenberg film, The Crime from the, from the Future, oh, yeah. had a lot of walkouts, but also really massive standing ovation. So Yeah, I heard a lot of people talking about that. Every, I think Cronenberg himself said... I, people are going to walk out of this movie. Yeah. It's one of those ones. But then I read a review that said it's not, it's it's actually, it's not as bad as that statement makes it out to be. Like him saying everybody, like we're going to have a lot of people walk out, makes it sound like it's this really like intense, really graphic kind of film. Yeah. But actually it's not as bad as it's being made out to. And actually it's a really interesting kind of look at like the human body and, mm-hmm. and how we kind of mm-hmm. treat it and, and mm-hmm. how it will be treated in the future. It sounds like from what I've heard as well, it sounds like it's very much him, but it's mm. um, people are saying that it's a very much like retro, like early Cronenberg in a way. So it's not like he deviated from his work. It's just more extreme version of him. So yeah, I'm excited. Even though I'm not a massive body horror fan, I have to say, but I mean, for him, I would... Yeah, it wouldn't massively be the genre that I'm like, I gotta see that every weekend. But <laughs> I, I'm interested in it. Yeah. I'm definitely interested to see what it's like. I read the review. I know the, uh, the Elvis biopics just premiered there as well. Yes. Which... I was interested to see, and then I started reading the reviews, and a lot of it's it's gotten quite a mixed one. But Very again, polarized. it got yeah, a well, really it it of like I was reading a, the list of like the longest standing ovations in Canada. Mm-hmm. Got a twelve minute standing ovation at the what? end. How come people yeah. clap for twelve minutes? Like I've I've tried. Yeah, I I've, went to the theater last week, and now we didn't stand up for twelve <laughs> minutes at the end of it, and that was a live performance. <laughs> I mean, I, I've done London Film Festival a couple of times and they also do standing ovations there like during the premieres. But after two minutes, like your your hands go numb. I just <laughs> I just don't know how you can clap for 12 minutes straight. So kudos to the industry and the critics that yeah, actually... They must have really enjoyed the Elvis They must film. have really enjoyed that Elvis film. Um, cool. And very quickly, unsurprisingly, a lot of our listeners have asked for conversations around indie filmmaking and for us talk about you know the underrepresented the overlooked the underappreciated so we can't reveal too much yet but we are taking that into account we're gonna have a couple of interviews that we are lining up for you and we're also gonna be in the Sundance London edition which I'm also excited about there's some cool stuff coming up over the next few weeks yeah obviously we don't know don't want to tease it, tease it too much. Not too much. Just, yeah. just for your information, Sarah has confirmed it was Forrest Gump, and it, there is a naked scene in it. <laughs> oh, wow, okay. We, okay, Thank you, ben, Sarah. ben, we need to rewatch that film yeah. because, and I need to watch I... it frame by frame. <laughs> <laughs> this is why he got the Oscar. I mean, he got an Oscar for it, right? I think so. Yeah. 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 Okay. There, that's what okay. that's what you get. Cool. Let's talk recommendations very quickly. I have watched a lot of TV shows recently, but what have you guys been watching? Uh, well, we're recording on the day that Obi-Wan Kenobi's been released, the latest Disney Plus series. Don't laugh at the name Obi-Wan Kenobi, Simon. <laughs> um, so I basically just spent the last week just watching all of the prequels and uh, the original Star Wars trilogy. Really? Which I very much enjoyed. Yeah. yeah How I was that like? Two... Great. <laughs> I mean, I love them. I think... All of them? Yeah. I, I would, you know, what? I, I I was talking to someone and they said they recently did all of the movies like over a weekend from Phantom Menace all the way through to Rise of Skywalker and all the ones in between. And he was saying, I was like, oh, yeah, like I really liked it, except for the first two, Phantom Menace and Clone Wars. But for me, it's the last two that I just can't rewatch. I can't rewatch Last Jedi and the Rise of Skywalker hmm. because I just don't. Whereas for me, there's like and this is definitely like the nostalgia thing of cinema watching Phantom Menace and Clone Wars I'm like I remember seeing this in the cinema as a child and absolutely being blown away by it and so I still have that kind of nostalgic feeling for it yeah they're not the strongest written films in the world but actually you know they've aged pretty well I saw Hugh McGregor made a really interesting comment like loads of people complained at the time that it wasn't like the originals and he was like well George didn't want to make them like the originals they wanted to be different and I don't necessarily think that was a bad thing. Yeah, I really enjoy going back and watching the early ones as well. Like A New Hope is still... A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back, as science fiction goes, two of the best science fiction films ever made. Like, they're just brilliant. They are so good. 
And even Return of the Jedi, even though it gets a bit weird when they bring in all the Ewoks and all that kind of stuff, it's still a great film and it's a, a really solid end to a really good trilogy. But yeah, so that's what I've been watching. And I watched the first episode of Kenobi today and I quite enjoyed it. So I'm looking forward to good. watching more of that. I love the early ones. I struggled a bit with the chemistry of Portman and Hayden Christensen in the new ones. I just felt like they weren't working on screen for me but that's an interesting relationship i mean i you kind of just watch it for hayden christensen and ewan mcgregor's relationship yeah, which is true. why i think they brought him back if you a lot of people were saying that they hadn't even planned to bring hayden christensen back anyway and there was obviously a big push for it and they had especially in revenge of the sith like they have brilliant chemistry and yeah i don't know mm-hmm. i'm excited to see what they do with it and you know after the boba fett series which fell a little bit flat for me mm-hmm. i think they're um onto a good push and they've just had the big star wars day thing yesterday was they had a big convention in the states where they just premiered loads of trailers and stuff like that so mm, okay. they've set out their stall for what's coming jude law's just been announced as he's going to be starring in a series so. sold sold yeah. <laughs> anything was on jude yeah old, old jay laws <laughs> yeah. you think of the holiday oh Ooh. what a film the holiday in space <laughs> uh, simon i know you've got uh, a really exciting double bill to share yeah you've been watching well, I treated myself to another viewing of Beverly Hills Cop 1. <laughs> so that. good. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. My favourite scene is where they're in the art gallery. Which we have a clip from which, in the intro. Yeah, the intro has a clip from it. And there's a character called Serge. The character's played by Bronson Pinchot. And I found out a bit of trivia about Beverly Hills Cop, actually, that I didn't know that the film was originally not going to be a comedy at all. And it was written for Sylvester Stallone. It was a tough Italian-American character who was going to play the Axel Foley part. And that all fell through for some reason. And then Eddie Murphy was brought in. And the whole film became this almost like an ad-libbed comedy. And, well, the amazing chemistry between the actors generates this palpable camaraderie that you just buy into all the way through the film and it holds your interest. And the scene in the art gallery is where there's this side character called Serge, who's this camp art gallery manager. I'm fine. My name is Serge. And how can I help you? Um, yeah, I'm looking for Miss Jenny Summers. It's very busy today. Maybe you give me your name? My name's Axel Foley. And uh, what is pertaining? I didn't understand what you said. Pertaining, what it's, it's meaning, gold. regarding. It's oh, what's it regarding? I'm an old acquaintance of hers. Donay? <laughs> One moment. Donay, run and tell me, Summers, that uh, Mr. Ahmed Foley is here to no, see. Axel Foley. Axel. Ahmed, Ahwell. Axel. <laughs> Foley is here to see her. These are old acquaintances. I see you look at this piece. Yeah, I was wondering how much something like this went for. $130,000. Get the fuck out of here! No, no, I cannot. It's serious because it's very important, base. Have you ever sold one of these? Sell it yesterday to a collector. Get the fuck out of here! I'm serious, I said it myself. That's just a, oh, such a good scene. Does that character come back in the second or third I one? I think he comes again? back in the third in one the third only. One. He doesn't come back in the second okay. one. And the third film's a bit of a disaster. That scene isn't quite what I thought it was because... Bronson Pinchot actually modelled that character on a rude Israeli makeup artist lady he met on a previous film. It's one that I'm going to have to go back and rewatch. I haven't watched Beverly Hills Cop in so long. And the soundtrack's mm. insane. Yeah, so it's incredible. Um, it's very literal. I've got a couple of clips to show this. Um, for example, when the heat is on. The heat is on. That's your Sunday soundtrack. Nice. When he's driving around Beverly Hills and he doesn't want to get stopped. <laughs> I love it. Dreamy. So what have you watched, Sophia? Yeah, as I said, I've been watching a lot of TV. I finally caught up to Better Call Saul. So I watched the mid-season finale. And I don't know, I feel like I'm no longer in the minority when I say I think Better Call Saul is better than Breaking Bad. And that's my hot take. <laughs> okay. Uh, I know, Ben, you have mixed feelings about it because you haven't, you've only watched season one. Yeah, you said. I've only watched the first season. Yeah. yeah. I did, I, I, but then it's, it's kind of hypocritical because I always say about Breaking Bad, when I watched it, I really struggled through the first two seasons. Mm-hmm. And then season three for me was when it kicked on. So actually, I probably, I need to go back and give it the time. I keep telling myself, just go back and do it. But when I watched Breaking Bad, I was in uni and I had lots of time to do absolutely nothing. <laughs> so yeah. I could binge watch TV. I, th- I I love it for so many reasons, but generally I just find the the writing more even more sharp. I is it fi- still all Vince Gilligan writing? Yes, it? yeah, which is what I think makes it so good because I feel like you can tell that 
Gilligan took what he learned from Breaking Bad and just kind of let that evolve for the better in Breaking Bad. Like you see the cinematography as well. I mean, he's very closely involved with that. It's much more ambitious, like the camera work. It's much more inventive. It's uh, refined almost from Breaking Bad. Absolutely. And then you have Kim, I mean, the co-star in a way, who's such an incredible... Oh, I don't want to say Machiavellian because I'm, I'm giving away too much, but she's just like her character progression is much more interesting compared to Skyler. Sky, yeah. Which I, I felt like the female cards in Breaking Bad for the most part were very annoying. And I don't see that in Better Call Saul and I find okay. that very refreshing. From the beginning, yeah, I would say even from season one, you can see all of these plot lines that have been simmering for years. And then this final season, everything goes boom. Just boom, like everything explodes. Wait, but you said mid-season finale before. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's mid-season finale. So like, this isn't the end of the end? The end of the end is in August. Oh. So it's taking a break for a few months, like weeks. They did that with weeks. the final season of Breaking Bad as yeah, well. The they did, thing. I think, like four or five episodes and then they do it basically a cliffhanger and then it comes back a few months later. It's all filmed and stuff and ready to go. But they just wait and then they release it, yeah. Yeah. That's the time to binge it. That's what I did with Breaking Bad. Yeah. At, at, between the mid-season finale and the finale, I binged all five seasons. You guys need to cut up on Better Call Saul so you can, we can do like a Breaking Bad, okay. Better Call Saul, okay. like final scene kind of let's do it. breakdown. Okay, so it's happening in August. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, yeah, secondly, very quickly, I've been watching, um, well, I've been cutting up on Love, Death and Robots, season three. So it's an anthology, it's a collection of animated short series. It's created by David Fincher and Tim Miller. It's on Netflix. It has three seasons. The season three just came out. Um, I mean, it's no secret that when season one came out, I was very vocal about it on my page because I really hated season one. I found it to be super problematic. I felt like every... If you were a female character in season one, you were either murdered, assaulted, raped, or fetishized. They were just like, I, I just had a very hard time watching it. And I know a few women and girls on my page had a very similar experience. So I skipped season two, but I caught up on season three. And I'm very glad that I did because I feel like the show really matured thematically and feels like it really found its true voice. And like, it's visually so stimulating. It's about the incredible work that has taken place behind the scenes in terms of like animation, production, that sort of thing. And yeah, I'm going to rank the episodes on my page, but um, a couple of favorites have been The Very Pulse of the Machine, Bad Traveling and Night of the Mini Dead, which is like brilliant. So yeah, check out uh, season three. Of Love, Death and Robots. Cool. What's this? It's a movie. No. No, I liked it. No. Can I say something? No. I don't get it. What don't you get about it? We asked people on the Instagram page a quite personal question, but as always, they deliver some incredible answers. When was the last time you saw yourself in a character? Daniela said, a few weeks ago, when I watched The Worst Person in the World, I saw Julie and it was like seeing me, that feeling of feeling a little lost in every aspect of your life, but still enjoy the process of it, even with mistakes included. And then Emily also said, I watched The Worst Person in the World a couple of weeks ago, and oh my God, do I ever feel like Julie sometimes, always wanting more and waiting for life to start. Wow. wow. I do feel those comments. Uh, the Worst Person in the World did something quite unique in terms of taking that you know, very classic genre of rom-com and really turned it on its head. It's almost like a perverted version of a rom-com. Um, and I think a lot of people resonate with Julie and her character in particular because she's self-destructive. She doesn't like, she's very uncomfortable around intimacy. She just wants to have her fun, quote unquote, but at the same time, she's just self-sabotaging every step of the way. And I know I've been there. I don't think I can relate to her right now at this point in my life, but I can see how that character is very relatable. Whenever I find I resonate with someone, it's always the ones that kind of take me by surprise. And I noticed this in some of the comments is that I always think the ones that resonate the most are when you see a character and you go, holy shit, that, mm -hmm. that's how I feel. You know, you don't think you're going to feel like that. You go maybe go into the worst person in the world and you're like, oh, I'm going to see this rom-com and stuff. And then halfway through you just ha it snaps and you go they say something or you know they make a speech or whatever they have an argument and you go oh that's how i've been feeling and you just kind of have that <laughs> that's me <laughs> and it's amazing because you're right it's like you're feeling seen but you weren't 
expecting to be yeah. seen. Because it's, it's that you kind didn't of unmasked expectation, right? You're like, yeah. what? What is happening right now? Yeah, films can do this great thing of they can articulate your feelings in a way that you didn't know was possible. And that sounds like kind of what I'm saying is like they've gone to see that film and they've just gone, oh shit, okay, that's what I do or that's how I feel. Yes. I, I've never had that with anything else, like only with like film and stuff. Cool. Uh, moving on to another comment, Johnny from Come On, Come On. That was my favorite film of 2021. Johnny was played by Joaquin Phoenix. You see what's that film? The importance of the relationship between an uncle and his nieces or nephews. That's sweet. Rusty Cole from Two Detectives Season 1. Interesting. I saw that one. Yeah. yeah. There's something in the poetic hollowness of his character becoming a vessel to be emptied, to be filled. Is every single one of my follower a poet? Pretty deep. <laughs> Sounds like it, yeah. It's quite honest Not as lying. well. Yeah. Because also specific... Rusty Cole's a quite a dark character. Like that yeah. like that character in that first season of True Detective. I mean, the best thing about that first season mm. of True Detective. I can see why you can relate to that character though when you're in a very dark place in your life. Yeah. Like oh, a yeah. very nihilistic uh way of view, really. So yeah. yeah, vessel to be emptied, to be filled. Well, so. yeah, I just think that reminded me he has, I think it's it's a couple of episodes in, but the episode ends with uh, McConaughey's character giving this speech in the future to so the good. detectives. And it's like a three or four minute monologue. And it's incredible. Like every time I watch it, I sit there, I literally just sit there in silence and just watch the screen because it's brilliant. We had a couple of people talk about Charlie from The Perks of Being a Wallflower. Justin says, he and I share the exact same sense of social awkwardness, plus he puts others' needs before he is a bit too much. Can relate to that. I'd say a lot of people can relate <laughs> yes. to that, yeah. Uh, Priyang said, right now when I'm watching Sheldon from The Big Bang Theory talking about sterilizing the people who believe in long-distance relationships. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. That's so good. That's intense. Uh, it's like you don't relate to a character, but you're like, they say one thing and you're like, I get it. Yeah, because yeah, you I can think, relate to elements of characters. Yeah. You, see, you can see flashes of yourself. Because Sheldon's a people. difficult character to relate to because mm. he is kind mm-hmm. of socially mm-hmm. awkward, but that statement is But just, you can relate to yeah. certain moments and certain opinions that he may have that are fairly controversial. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like The Prestige being Christopher Nolan's best film. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, some of my favourites, uh, this one is going to make me cry, but I'm going to give it a go. Nope. Someone said... Officer K from Blade Runner 2049, he's literally me. Besides a literally me meme, I've related to Officer K deeply on many aspects. One, being his subtle desperation for genuine love and connection and his want to be human. Two, for his selfless acts, even when he's left with nothing, he decided to throw his life away for something bigger. Three, for his loneliness and the internal emotional struggle he had as he was empty as a replicant and the way he suffers in silence. His want for his place and who he is and what he is, plus there were scenes that eerily were similar to what happened to me before seeing the movie. And as someone also who is autistic, I feel deeply for his want of being seen as someone and knowing his place in the world. I just can't, like, wow. I feel like I just want to, That's like, print yeah. this and just put it in a poster. That's a very thoughtful piece of writing. That's incredible. We should do that. We should do Blade Runner 2049 for an oh, episode. Yeah. yeah. Even though I don't remember the final scene very well. Oh, yeah, I, 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 uh, no, wait. I remember it. I remember it. I remember the shot. But it's like, it's not, it doesn't have dialogue. No. It doesn't have dialogue. No, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I remember it now. Um... And, yeah, finally, we also had a couple of people talk about characters from everything everywhere all at once oh Ooh. i didn't see those yes so my friend dom says he felt like the rock from the film which is weirdly <laughs> yeah. relatable that was that was my easily my favorite <laughs> yeah. scene yes and finally followers shared with us evelyn from everything everywhere all at once every day she thought about what could have been confused barely getting by having a kind and loving partner but not being able to be content with him not having control over her life. And even though I'm just 20, I knew exactly what she was feeling. Now I know we should try to cherish whatever good thing we comes by in our lives, but even that needs some time getting used to because of the gap that exists between the good things. That's amazing. I'm still figuring out how to maintain my kindness in those in-betweens of the withdrawal of happiness, and I bet Evelyn would have also had to learn this like I am trying to. That's, that's profound. Wow. Yeah, and she's 20. Because just a second she's ago we were debating how you sum up that film. But in fact, that yeah. that comment perfectly that sums, sums up the film. It's yeah. one of the biggest 
messages that yeah. I took away from the film. It was it was a really intense experience to have to think of all the alternative versions of you like should you have chosen something else at some point in your life it's literally like how would my life have turned around if i'd stayed in greece yeah like it's just reminds me of that film sliding doors oh yeah fuck that film but yes (laughs) (laughs) i loved it i know but gwyneth paltrow (laughs) (laughs) the better sliding doors is called mr nobody and it's with jared leto and diana kruger it's a 2009 film I've not um, seen that. Yeah. Before um, Jared Leto. Got before Jared Leto, yeah, sold out. <laughs> it's an incredible film. And if, if you if you want like the public stamp of approval, um, I think right now on IMDb it has something like 8.2. Okay. Yeah, so it's, it's just an indie proper gem. So cool. Oh, well, look, a message from our sponsor. G.I. Jane 2. Can't wait to see it. Yeah, yo, hold my poodle. Hey, yo, what's up? Y'all got a problem? Y'all want some of this? Without much further ado. Here we go again. Shall we dive in to the final scene of the film? Everything everywhere all at once. Let's do it. Let's do it. Cool. Um, I feel like before we talk about it, we actually have to somehow try to set up the film. Should we have a turns each? Should we see who can... I cannot... No. Should, we all try, should we all have a go? Well, as I said to Simon will, on the way here, I mean, minutes. my awful synopsis of the film is one woman's tax return goes horribly wrong. <laughs> um, and that's a very terrible and vague description of the film. I like that, though. I, think I mean, it, it kind I think of it works. It kind of, it kind I, of I works. I think it works, yeah. Before we even go into just the generally talking about it, I have to say, I, it's genuinely, and I don't know if Simon's going to agree with this, but I think Sophie will, I think it's the best film I've seen so far this year. Mm-hmm. And I will struggle to see anything better yeah. because it's funny. It has amazing, you talked about this, I mean, you didn't really like it, but I thought it had really great Matrix style Kung Fu sequences. It was bizarre. And then at the heart of it all is this really amazing like family drama that is so incredibly emotional. The amount of people sobbing in the cinema at the end of that film. Really? Yes. Yeah. I definitely cried at the end of it. The woman behind me was like, (laughs) like almost like hyperventilating at the end of it. Because I lost it too. It's just incredible. Let's try to make it more specific though, because I feel like there's a lot more to that. The journey of one daughter trying to find her way back to her mother in a way, because ultimately that's what it is. Obviously you have the elements of, you know, Wayman, the the husband, and then, you know, the father. So you have the male figures that are, you know, very strong so play very strong supporting roles but ultimately it all comes back to the mother and daughter relationship but for me in particular and why I cried it was less about Evelyn accepting joy for who she is and that kind of like bit of a cheesiness like on top of that it's fine but for me the element of how you show affection as a mom for me that's something that felt very it was very relatable for me and it's one of the things that I want to talk about because you know how in the beginning I mean you mentioned this before Ben before we started recording about in the beginning Evelyn goes to Joy and she's like sorry Evelyn yeah, yeah Miss Leo um you're getting fat remember that comment in the beginning yeah. and I know that comment very well that comment means that comment means I care for you yeah i want you to do better by being better and for me that means i'm speaking as my mom right now for me that means being an acceptable version of yourself in the society because when you're accepted you're safe and i want you to be safe says that at the start of the film you know she says to her girlfriend becky she's like listen if my mom insults you it means she likes you yes she's not insulting you to be mean she's insulting you because she cares the final scene she does show her some affection by saying you should grow your hair out that's what she says to (laughs) becky there's been a lot of commentary on the internet around how that's a very accurate portrayal of moms and dads and parents more generally in eastern cultures And what I want to bring to the table as a different perspective is that this is an exclusive to Eastern cultures. And I want us to start moving away from generalizing Eastern versus Western because it's much more nuanced than that. That kind of talk is very prominent in Greek culture as well. So it's much more about the society and the collective and much less about the individual. So 
for me, like when she went from, yeah, you're getting fat to she said she made some other sort of comment that was also like criticizing her, but it was much softer. So for me, like having that kind of evolution um, or seeing that as a mom was quite moving for me. And I want very quickly to read a Reddit comment that I found. What I noticed was that her criticism changed tonally. He's referring to the final scene. Became less barbed and exuded a non-verbal warmth. From my own lived experience, that subtle safety would have been enough to show me that my parents were working on being more open and improving themselves. Personally, my parents doing what Evelyn did would have gone a long way in my relationship with my parents. That part really hit me in the feels and I thought I wish my mom would have done that. So for me, that kind of like 180 you see from Evelyn in the beginning where she knows she's not showing up as her as her best version of herself. And it's, it's why she has all of these abilities, right? Because she's the worst version of herself and she's well aware of that. She's mm-hmm. not tied to any specific path in life, which is why she's able to vert jump, right? And just be, become action movie star Evelyn, like hot dog fingers Evelyn. Like it's exactly that reason. But then, That's not a joke, by the way. There is hot dog there, fingers Evelyn. Yes, that is. That sounds like a joke, but so, it's not. <laughs> it is not a joke. People like there's a universe where people have hot dog like fingers and play the piano with their feet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my God. Um, but yeah, in the end, in that final scene, shows that amazing and realistic in a way uh, character progression because she doesn't go from worst mom of the year to mom of the year. She goes from eh. This is where I get to yeah. try. <laughs> this is where I get to try and just be here. You're right. In that kind of confrontation between Evelyn and Joy at the end, that really is all Joy wants is Joy mm-hmm. wants her to try because you can't exactly. ask someone to completely change. And if she completely changed, she wouldn't be being true to herself. That'd be completely opposite of what the film is trying to do, I guess. Yeah. Essentially, at the end of the film, it's Evelyn, the mum, deciding that actually her original universe was absolutely fine and life is what you make of it and it's how you approach it. But I don't know if the film really gave enough reason for how Evelyn came round. I would say a couple of things stood out for me. The first one is obviously the bagel, (laughs) the everything bagel. everything bagel. If you remember towards the end, so the bagel essentially, it starts from being an everything bagel where Joy slash Jobu, actually, her alter ego in the multiverse, it's where she drops everything, like her hopes, her dreams, her report cards, you name it, like all of it is there. But then if you remember, the bagel turns into this super massive black hole, <laughs> that's a news reference, yeah. <laughs> super massive black hole. Um, the reveal towards the end is that the purpose of the, you know, black hole you know bagel isn't to destroy the universe isn't to destroy evelyn isn't to destroy anyone but what jobu wants to do is to destroy herself because Mm. she thinks everything is meaningless and when evelyn sees that that was one of the first turning points that got her to think oh shit maybe i need to start trying and then she reflects on that with her own dad like she even says to him like why did you let me go like Mm. the biggest question i have is when i went to move to america with waymond why did you let me go And that's the whole thing. When Joy goes to go away, that's what she's doing. She's doing what her dad didn't do Mm -hmm. and saying, I'm not, I'm not going to let you go. I don't care. And that's the whole speech that she makes is, I don't care how difficult it is. I don't care that we fight. I don't care that maybe life isn't great, that we have this laundromat and it's not everything we thought it would be. And I'm not an action hero or I'm not a hibachi chef, but this version, as you said, Simon, that version of her is the one that she wants. And it's important that she doesn't let that go because that's Mm -hmm. what makes her happy. Mm -hmm. Which is kind of what breaks the intergenerational curse in a way and starts to break the cycle of like being emotionally unavailable and just, you know, a bit of a, you know, dickhead really as a parent. So when that reveal happens where Job is like, well, I actually want to kill myself because everything sucks. Evelyn is trying to, is, is trying to see her nihilistic point of view. And then if you remember, she kind of smashes up every universe is in, you know, how she kind of breaks into like a thousand pieces in a way. And it is at that moment where her husband has that, you know, probably the best this scene. Is the bit, this is the bit where I, I, I Yeah, I would say that's the epiphany. I have, like, I've written the quote down because I think it's I think it's probably the most important quote I've heard in the film in a very long time. And that it's, the only thing I do now is that we have to be kind. Please be kind, especially when we don't know what's going on. That is what everyone in the world needs right now. Just that sentence of like, even when you don't know what's going on. Yeah, it's scary. 
and yeah you like you might be confused but you don't know what everybody else is going through and just be kind and that's why you know that fight scene on the stairs Mm -hmm. all these people want to kill her but she goes well the reason they're angry is this and that and she like you know is kind to all of them if a president said that if barack obama had said that when he was running for office everyone would be like that's like yes we can that's like this amazing (laughs) quote but it's in this mad multiverse film that comes out in the wake of another mad multiverse film mm-hmm. that's when i cried in the cinema mm-hmm. that's when i just lost it i was like oh. which i feel like this is what evelyn took from that scene and then she said despite everything i choose to be in this universe i choose to be here with you because i feel like at that moment it was the very first time that she actually took a second to be present Right and just listen to what her daughter had to say because I feel like up until that moment she was hearing what Joy was saying but she wasn't listening, listening. which is very different. We still haven't talked about the actual final scene, so let's try to break it down. We can actually get back to the tax return. There you go. (laughs) So the movie ends where it started, right? So at Deidre's office from the Wang family's tax audit. This time Becky, Joy's girlfriend, drops off the family. We see Evelyn showing some affection for her by saying that she should grow her hair out, which I thought was very funny. Uh, Inside the building, Wayman heads towards the bathroom before their meeting. Evelyn shows affection to him as well with a big kiss and a hug. And at Deidre's desk, Evelyn's mind briefly wanders off to another universe before returning to the moment saying, sorry, what did you say again? Yeah, And that's when the film ends. It's interesting because obviously we talked about Doctor Strange in the last one. And actually there's almost like a, a bit of a comparison between the two ending yeah. scenes of, you know, in Doctor Strange, the remnants of using the book of whatever. I can't remember what it's called. Um, Darkhold. The Darkhold. Yeah, he has the third eye and that's the remnant of that. But then at the end of Everything Everywhere, we see that from that point where she just collides all of her universes to see every kind of one of herself, there's still that remnant there. So of like it's still there you know there's still a po- i mean annoyingly <laughs> it gives the possibility of a sequel which i really mm-hmm. hope there isn't a more everywhere no, all at once so. which i don't think they would do i think it's just lovely that the film ends with her because that's what happens when they first go to the irs in kind of the middle of the film mm-hmm. and she's sorry what were you saying and it's just kicks on from that i thought that was really nice that's the perfect way when the opening scene is almost like kind of goes back to the final scene and the other way around i think that's one of the more beautiful ways of showing character evolution right and growth and growth yeah and for me that final line in particular really made me think about the beginning of the film because I was thinking in the beginning if you remember Evelyn was pretending that she was paying attention she was like oh yeah he was paying attention he was paying attention now like in the end it's the very first time where he's actually trying to come back to you know the moment it kind of shows the struggle but also the beauty of keeping yourself grounded and in the moment and we all know how hard it is right to just be in the moment not getting distracted and just like because you know the mum's got the world on her shoulders she's got the stress she literally has she she could wander off to another multi and like I feel like if you think about it we all have multiverses in our minds don't yeah. we sometimes we just come up with you know versions of ourselves just don't daydream exist daydream about daydream. you know what would happen if I did this or what would have happened what would my life look like if I did that yes or why did I say that or yeah yeah you were saying Sophie about like moving from Greece you know there's probably loads of points in everyone's lives I'm, I mean yeah maybe if people people can message in to let us know like if they mm-hmm. ever think about that like what was I always think about it if like I had a chance to go to university in Scotland when I was like 20 and I just didn't do it I'm like what would I mm. what would like life look like if I had done that or mm. if I had done this even the landing isn't perfect because it's not like you know the final scenes is like oh yeah I'm I'm fully present I'm you know I'm I'm mindful you know Jedi now it's like it's still imperfect it's still imperfect it shows you that it's the very first time that she's putting in the effort it's the very first time she's engaged it's awkward i mean all of us are trying it goes back to what you said of like she's not mum of the year yeah but she's trying like it just harks back to that thing of well you know she's never going to change there's still elements of evelyn that are always going to be there you know she might drift off every now and again but she's trying Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. oh and speaking of mindfulness i started um rereading one of the you know most popular books in buddhism 
readings from Pema Todrons is like quite big in that space. When things fall apart, it's your book. And there is this line in the in the book that says, just where you are, that's where you start. Which is like it, it kinda it took me back to that film. I think just think of think of the now. Think of the now and yeah. just try every single moment to just stay like us three right now, we are in my kitchen, we're doing this podcast as opposed to just drifting away, thinking about like episode six. No, let's try it. Like talk about <laughs> Evelyn right now. That kind of meta feeling of struggle of being in the moment, which is hard. I get it. One of the things that I want to talk about is the, the tone of the final scene. So we can see that in the end, the tone of the film has changed. Everyone feels and looks more calm. And one can argue that, you know, the resolution wouldn't have been possible if it weren't for... Waymond. And I know, like, Ben, as you said, you have strong feelings about him in particular, but... I think he deserves an... I mean, I think they uh, all deserve Oscars because the performances in the film are fantastic. Yeah, I, w- I was gonna say, when you think of his character in particular, you have... You have Evelyn and Joy that have used cynicism, pessimism, even depression to cope with life, but he chose kindness and understanding every step of the way. What did you make of his character? I think one of the reasons why I kind of felt so emotional when he talked about that is because how hard that mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. and how you kind of try and put yourself in his shoes. of Because he gets shit throughout the movie. Up until that point, especially that version of Waymond, takes the abuse and like is kind of there for the beating in a way. And then when he says that, you realize it's like, well, I put myself in that position because that's his superpower. You know, yeah. that's the, like, I think he even says that. He's like, that's my power. This is what I do. But you also, you don't know how happy he really is. Well, like, he doesn't really give away much. He just kind of puts a smile on everything and stoically powers through. I don't think he's no. using kindness as an avoidance, you know, coping mechanism. I think he's choosing kindness, which I feel like... The entire film is about choice. You know, uh, when he speaks to Jamie Lee Curtis's character, is like, you know, you just don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, be kind to people because you don't know what's go- you don't know what their circumstances are. Mm-hmm. And I guess, you know, Evelyn's whole journey is to actually be able to open up to both of them mm-hmm. in a way, to be able to have that connection that made her want to leave with him and go to America and. Or, you know, not as we see in her, you know. Yeah, maybe she resents him for encouraging her to make that decision. It's not fulfilled her in the way that he promised her it would. Yeah, that's part of it, for Mm -hmm. sure. And I think in the beginning, we are witnessing the dissolution of the marriage, right? Like, we see them at their worst period, Mm. um, like... As we, yeah, and then yeah, it's, at a it's, it's almost point. like in, it works in reverse, where you know, the more the film progresses, the 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 better the relationship gets in a way because of the things and you know how they kind of. But I mean, it seems her turning point really is when she sees herself and the universe where she is Michelle Yeoh, really, yes. because and and actually there's a brilliant scene wise, where yeah. when she first goes into that universe, we see lots of clips from her life, and it's. Basically, it's just all like press footage of Michelle Yeoh's career, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. There's like, I think there's like footage of her in like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon and stuff, which is, I thought was brilliant. But in that universe where she's not with him and that confrontation that they have in the alleyway, <sighs> that makes her kind of, that's where she kind of clicks and realizes of actually like, because she does say to him when she comes back from that universe, like, oh, I could have been, you know, she talks about, I could have been this if, you know, if I hadn't gone with you and I would have been able to be that. But then... Again, you know, it's almost like that's the tipping point of the film. Of she gets to that point where she she thinks, you know, the film is on this upper trajectory of like, oh fucking hell, there's all these different amazing places where I could have been and I could have done, and then the movie ends kind of in the middle. Like you get a credit roll in the middle of the film, mm-hmm. and then it turns, and then it starts going back in the direction of her going. Yeah, but of course, there are, obviously there are all of these other universes out there, but just because they look brilliant because of the scenario that I'm in, but they're not necessarily the happiest and. You know, a universe where I'm not with Wayman maybe isn't the best thing in the world because I don't have joy and I don't have, you know, the rest of these amazing things. To me, it feels like there's that nice tipping point. In the middle. Like the film arcs really nicely. To but actually, kind of at the end of the film, she's, she's saying maybe we should not be together. You know, we bring out the worst in each other. I found that scene a bit, I don't say problematic, but I don't think it worked very well. Like that scene in the car park outside yeah. of the laundromat. Yeah, where they're because- shouting at one another. 
Yeah, because I feel like the end of the scene was amazing, but the beginning was a bit awkward. You're right, because Joy's like, actually, we're a bit toxic for each other. So yeah. I feel like I should take a break and just give it deep out. As you say, Ben, you have and that then, arc yeah, you think there's going to be this resolution. I, and suddenly, I agree, actually, yeah. they're going to say the opposite. I, I agree. And then Evelyn's like, yeah, but I could be anywhere right now, but I choose to be with you. And then mm. Joy's like, okay, cool. Let's, let's give it a go. So I thought the dialogue there was a bit awkward. I agree mm. with you. Maybe they needed that as an in into the final scene to have the resolution. That scene was needed. Uh, what I felt like was probably unnecessary was Joy saying, well, we're a bit toxic for each other. Maybe it's about the mum misinterpreting all the lessons that she's learned. And at first she's like, all of this means that actually I'm bad for my daughter and the best thing I can do for her is to not be with her because I'm making her miserable. Well, because she lets her get in the car. Yeah, exactly. Get that. Yes. She lets but her get then, in the car yeah. and then she goes and that's when she talks about, it, it kind of comes back to her thing of, my dad let me go. I'm not going to let you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then they get into the proper discussion of mm-hmm. how yeah. they can actually coexist mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. be more supportive of each other. And I think that's the bit where you're talking about where like, you know, Waymond almost interrupts and she's like, no, let her finish because it's really important to, for Evelyn, for Joy to get that out. Wayman thinks that Evelyn's just being harsh again on Joy. Yeah. And actually Joy wants to hear it. And they need to hear it. It's almost like, you know, tension builds up with someone you love and you're like, we did, I just love you. But we just let's just let's just have like let's just shout at one another for like five minutes, and then mm. you just always get all the steam out, and they kind of get all of that out, and they just air all the dirty laundry there, mm-hmm. yeah, in in front of the laundromat car park, <laughs> which only makes it more important to go back to the point of one kindness, but also how it manifests in the in the context of a mother and daughter relationship, because for the most part, not just daughters, but if we were speaking about joy. Kids mostly want to be seen, and in extension to that, they want to be accepted, right? So when Evelyn says, my love for you is unconditional, because at the end of the day, I could be anywhere, I could be in any multiverse right now, and I could choose any other version of you, but actually I choose to be the one that's right here, that's in front of me. So you don't have to be any other version of yourself. It's what gives Joy permission to actually live her life and pursue the relationship with, you know, her girlfriend. And also, you know, we had that, you know, a bit of a funny scene where Evelyn goes to her dad. and That's brilliant. It was the first time that she accepted, like actually accepted and supported her daughter of being queer, right? And in front of her dad. That was the moment where she kind of broke that, intergenerational you know well, because again and yes. it goes that goes back to the first scene where joy introduces becky to her granddad and joy's chinese isn't great anymore and he says every time i see you it, it gets worse and she can't remember the word for girlfriend and evelyn interrupts and says this is becky joy's good friend yes and yes. then at the end of the film evelyn interrupts and goes this is becky becky is joy's girlfriend yes okay I think we saw the ending, you guys. I I do want to ask one final question, which I kind of asked you before, like (laughs) before we start recording. I know it's a difficult one, but um, I think it's going to mean a lot to our listeners. So assume you can create a bagel yourselves. Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Where you can add your hopes, your dreams, your regrets, your fears, your anything, your trophies. What would you put in it? It's probably a pizza bagel, but that's 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 neither here nor there. What, what, I mean, what are the toppings? The toppings are two college dropouts, <laughs> <laughs> my relationship, a move to the UK, even moving to the UK more so. My relationship with being like Irish and and how Ireland has been. Like Ireland's definitely on the bagel. <laughs> so there's a bit of green dashed in there somewhere. An emotional bagel, I would say as well. Oh I yeah, mean, it's, sure. It's, yeah. Some stuff that I won't mention. <laughs> keep it a little bit light, private. Keep it a little bit lighthearted, and then yeah, yeah, yeah. mozzarella, pepperoni, and uh, some <laughs> I think mine would have some sauce. some Nutella, some banana pennies. <laughs> Nutella and banana pennies some, on a bagel. Some nineties movies like yeah. Home Alone and Uncle Buck. Oh, <laughs> spicy! Oh yeah, really edgy, edgy stuff. <laughs> lots of music, lots of rave culture. I was going to say, yeah, that is such a, I mean, has always been such a big part of your life, music. Yeah. Naughty raves. Naughty raves. Naughty raves. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like my bagel has been influenced by the film because as I 
told you earlier, the first thing that came to mind is being a good daughter. So I feel like it shows very clearly how I was raised and, you know, what are the things that come to mind first. I was like, I'm a good daughter. But you can't just say that without defining what that means to you. Good daughter to me means making my parents proud, I feel like. My decision to move to London has been a big one, very life-defining in a way. My writings, I would say, my healing, my imperfections, my femininity. I know. <laughs> the patience of my friends. Your bagel's more conceptual than mine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm going to say, the last thing that goes in my bagel, my high school crush, who I got to hook up with about a decade later, that happened and listen to this podcast that, and if you're out there <laughs> I don't think you are but I, well that happened a few years ago but it's it definitely goes to my bagel because it's such a big win so oh it's a big win it's a big win yeah it's one of the things you're like this is a trophy like I can just put it in the shelf just like yep yeah, thick <laughs> bucket list kind of thing uh, goes to my bagel yeah because like the bagel is not necessarily bad no, it's good. Well, the bagel's yeah. good, bad, and everything, isn't it's ba- it? Yeah, it's good, bad. Yeah, it's yeah. like everything that you, the part of you, have changed your life. I mean, so you, you, he didn't change my life, but, you know, I feel like he did change my, the life of the 15-year-old me, the crafted I thought you were going to say, I feel like it did change his life. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was where that was going. So I was like, didn't Maybe. change mine, but my God, he's been, he's, he's not been, been the same since. <laughs> he hasn't been the same since. He won't leave me alone. <laughs> Imagine if he's listening. It's so funny. I hope he's not. <laughs> cool. So I think this is it, guys. The next final scene we will be talking about is from Top Gun, Maverick. I have to say, we're I taking, didn't. We're taking the highway to the danger zone. Tommy Boy. <laughs> Big two. Toots. Some masculine guitars. I can't <laughs> wait. If, if the shredding in Doctor Strange was bad enough, I can't wait for some masculine uh, top-end guitar. How homoerotic is it going to be? Uh, man, if you've seen Miles Teller's mustache looks. Ooh, Ooh. I have to say, it's be I good. felt that. The score is amazing. You, you should listen to it. I mean, you can. I mean, you will. What, of the, the, score. the new one? No, yeah, the new one. I didn't like the first one, so I'm just going to go on record and say that. But yeah, I am hearing that Maverick is really, really good. So looking forward to seeing it. And yeah, talking about the final scene with you too. Good. Also, make sure to subscribe to our podcast, right? Uh, wherever you're listening. And if you loved our final scene breakdown or Ben's hot takes, uh, please rate and review that final scene on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Seriously, just do it. It only takes a second. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back with Tommy Boy in a couple of weeks. Goodbye. Did you like it? Did you like that? Did I like it? I loved it. I had no idea you could milk a cat. I have nipples, Greg. Could you milk me? Good morning! Morning! Good morning! Oh, and in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night.